freedom 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 over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives i am your host bruce anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcast and video podcast subscribe share like comment and rate us you can find us on instagram youtube and twitch at unsolicited underscore perspectives on twitter and tiktok at unsolicited underscore per watch us live every thursday night 7 30 p.m eastern on youtube and twitch our audience continues to grow with each and every episode and i humbly thank you on today's episode, I interviewed Joshua Shea. He's a former porn addict turned porn expert. We're going to be talking about porn, porn addiction, and trauma. But first things first. So, you know, I'm always excited to be to interview guests. Uh, this is another exciting interview for me. I'm going to be interviewing Joshua Shea. He's a former porn addict recovered from his porn addiction and has become an expert and counselor in the field and helped uh, other people deal with uh, porn addiction and betrayal trauma. Uh, that's something that we'll talk about in the second part because this is a two-part series. Uh, he's written four books. Uh, he's a porn addict, Now What? That was released in 2019. Porn in the Pandemic, How Three Months in 2020 Changed Everything. That was released in July 2020. Uh, the Addiction Nobody Will Talk About, How I Left My Pornography Addiction, Hurt People, and Destroyed Relationships. That was his first book that was released in 2018. And his latest book, uh, I'm reading this book about porn addiction for a friend, was released in 2022. So once again, this is another two-part interview. We're going to be digging into porn addiction, uh, discuss, or discussing the effects and the causes of porn addiction, uh, how, how it deals with the relationships that you have when you have a porn addiction, the journey of recovering. Uh, Joshua will be telling his personal experience about that. And um, it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how porn affects people uh, and those around them. If there's an increase in porn addiction, we're going to be finding out about that. Uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, how it affects you physically, mentally, and emotionally uh, dealing with porn. Um, but that's enough of me rambling on about what we're going to talk about. Let's get to the interview. I'm here with Joshua Shea, former porn addict, turned expert to help people with porn addiction, author, journalist, TED Talk. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And it, it, I feel like this is an interesting topic because nobody wants to talk about it. It is the thing behind the door that pretty much everybody kind of does or kind of watch. Somebody in their lifetime has seen porn, but nobody yes. really wants to talk about it unless it's your really, really close friends or family members and you say it under hush terms. Um, but you were a former porn, porn addict, and now you're an expert helping with porn addiction. But I want to get started with your journey. So okay. how did you become addicted to porn? 
Well, my uh, story is very, very textbook um, with most people who end up as porn addicts, especially men, uh, you know, 99.9% end up having some kind of pretty severe trauma in their life when they're young. I uh, suffered uh, sexual abuse at the hands mm. of a babysitter and her family. Mm. I, When I was young, I also had a series of... Uh, mental slash emotional abuse uh, at the hands of my grandmother. Mm. Um, and that kind of abuse is usually what leads to trauma. That kind of trauma often leads to addiction to handle it. Right. And when I was 12 years old and my older cousin showed me hardcore pornography magazines for the first time, it took a matter of seconds before I was completely addicted, before I completely identified with it, and before mm -hmm. I completely realized that, aha, I have found something here that is going to help me for the rest of my life. And the only other time I felt that, this was when I was 12 years old, the only other time I felt this was about two years later when I was 14 years old and I got drunk for the first time. And then from that point forward, pornography and alcohol uh, were my go-tos no matter what for the next 22 to 24 years, um, no matter where I was in life, if I was a student, if I was starting my career, if I was well into it, whether I was dating or married, had kids or not, didn't matter where I was in my life. Between my early teens and my mid-30s, um, I could count on pornography and to a lesser degree alcohol to make any day better if I needed it. Okay, so I have a couple of questions from what you just said. Do you think that, uh, and we can get into later some of the reasons why somebody would be addicted to porn, but mm -hmm. do you think that you being sexualized so young opened up, opened you up sexually? Well, you know, what I think it did was interesting because the, the sexualization that was happening to me at the babysitter took place probably between the ages of about three and seven. Mm. I didn't see those hardcore magazines till I was 12 years 12 old. Years old yeah. What I think they did was I think they normalized what happened to me. I think for many years mm. I carried this ball of trauma ball of emotion wondering what the heck had happened to me why the heck had it only happened there why mm -hmm. was it happening elsewhere in life and then my cousin presents me at 12 years old with these magazines of people doing largely the exact same activities that mm -hmm. i had done had done to me and i think in some way it, it normalized it because as a young kid you don't necessarily think something is bad or something is good it just is. And then when I finally saw it in that magazine, I think that it helped me come to terms with what happened to me and actually put it behind me, which mm. sounds like a good thing. But what it really did was it helped me repress uh, mm -hmm. the incidents in my mind. It helped me forget the incidents in my mind. And it allowed me to move forward, largely forgetting what happened until I got into recovery 24 years later. And the the between the porn and the alcohol that definitely the alcohol definitely helped you deal with the repression of those past events uh absolutely absolutely and and pornography what alcohol did for me from that point when i first started at 14 moving forward um 
was absolutely helped numb me. It absolutely mm. just shut off stress. It shut off the bad things in the world. And what pornography helped me do was to get a sense of power or a sense of control. Mm. So I usually use those two things in conjunction. I would drink first and then I would use pornography. And that was largely the pattern through life. It wasn't until I got into recovery that I truly understood and embraced the idea that pornography addiction was a real thing, was a separate addiction. It wasn't until I was able to wrap my arms around the idea that it wasn't just a bad choice I made when I was drunk, but it was a different addiction altogether. And all of these years, I was actually co-addicted, not yeah. just addicted to alcohol. Um. So I, I, I don't know what your age is, but I'm 42, 43 years old. And the first experience, so you're 43, I, 40, no, what did I say? 42, you said you're 42, 43. And 42. I know when, I know when we get to be this age <laughs> and we say, oh yeah, I'm 46, 47, I'm 47. I'm, I'm 42 for another six weeks or so. So I'm holding okay. on to that 42, yeah. but I wasn't introduced to hardcore porn until I was uh, 10. And I don't even consider that hardcore porn. I, it was playboys. It, yeah. To me, hardcore porn was kind of like hustler. Right. And I actually wasn't introduced to videos until much later. It was 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, so our, our, so how, how much older was your cousin to be able to get this and then pass it along to you? Was it a major age difference? Because Not a 12 year old, really. Not really. I think what I think happened is that I think either a friend of his passed them along to him mm. or he stole them from a store. Um, he had only two or three. Uh, and again, it was Penthouse or Hustler. It wasn't it wasn't Playboy. It was mm. it was the harder stuff. It was the hard stuff. Yeah. And uh, he showed that to me um, when I was 12 years old and I had seen naked people on HBO and whatnot. Mm -hmm to that point. And, uh, it did not do to me what it did actually seeing the sexual act that was happening on those pages of that magazine when I was 12. Yeah. What does porn addiction look like? Because a lot of people are going to listen and watch this episode and they're going to say, well, I mean, I watch porn. Like, how do you know if you're addicted or not addicted? Well, I can, I can tell you that very quickly, it stops being about the images on the screen. I was yeah. not a porn addict for 24 years because I really like breasts or I really like watching people go at it. Mm -hmm. I was a porn addict because I was struggling with this trauma. And for some reason, the alcohol and the pornography, these were the things that got to the point. Maybe if I had been older and somebody introduced harder drugs to me, maybe if somebody had introduced gambling to me, maybe those would have been my vices. Mm -hmm. But where I was as a young teenager, porn and alcohol was available. And for the first time, it made me feel good about myself. So it wasn't that... I wanted to go to parties in high school and look cool with the other guys drinking. I would have rather been at home by myself drinking and, uh, you know, and actually at that point saying, I like the taste of this where most kids in high school didn't like that. I would have rather been at home looking at pornography, not because I was seeing beautiful women on the screen. 
but because that made me feel like I was in control of my life. That put me in a place where I felt like um, I had some power where I really didn't the rest of the time because of what had happened to me. Because when you think about it, what you're looking at on a screen, when you are looking at pornography, you can see anything you want. If I want to watch, you know, two Asian people go at it, great. Okay, well, you know what? I don't need the guy. I can just have two girls go at it. Great. Well, let's make it six girls of all ethnicities. Great. Just keep pushing that button and you get whatever you want because there's so much porn in this world. You can see whatever you want. And nobody on that screen is going to say, whoa, ho, ho, no, Josh, you can't watch us today. Or... Mm you still have to put out the trash or you're late to work or you didn't get a good grade on this test. Nobody on the screen complains. Nobody on the screen has any demands of you. They are there to serve you. When you are sitting there looking at porn, you are basically like the sexual master of the universe. Mm -hmm. And what that allowed me to do was to create a false sense of control that was lacking from my life. So that sense of control, that's what created the chemicals in my head, the dopamine, the oxytocin, the serotonin, the endorphins, all of these things that cause or, or, or what the uh, goal of being an addict is, is to get at these chemicals that are in your head, these, you know, sort of all natural drugs and get them released because that's what, that's the goal. That's when you feel good. That's when you feel like it's on top, you're on top of the world. It had nothing to do with seeing a certain body part on a certain man or woman. It had nothing to do with seeing a man or woman or something, you know, in between having actual sex. It was that these these images would prompt the chemical reaction in my head. That's why I went to them. If it was a matter of watching football or baseball and getting those chemical reactions, I would have been watching football or baseball. It really didn't matter to me, especially in the later years, what was on the screen. I was just there to get my chemicals and get the heck out of there. I, I didn't care what I was looking at for the most part. And that's the number one biggest difference between addiction use and recreational use when it comes to pornography is that for the addicts, it really doesn't have very much to do with sex or nudity. Huh. Okay. So for those people out there, and I know this is a running joke on Instagram and Twitter of, you know, somebody on Pornhub and they're on page 782 because they're, they're looking for something in particular to satisfy them. Mm -hmm. Would that be considered recreation or would that be considered addiction? That's pretty much addiction. If you're on page 782, <laughs> 700, I mean, I know addiction. that's an exaggeration. Honestly, most addicts report that they, when they reach the ongoing stages of addiction, one of the symptoms is that they do search for that perfect piece to finish with that they recognize is going to cause the biggest dopamine dump that is going mm. to cause the biggest high when they finally uh, self-satisfied to the point of orgasm. It's going to cause the greatest reaction. And sometimes, and I can speak for myself and I can speak for my clients who I help as a coach, they will find something, they, maybe 30 minutes of, of looking, they'll find something at minute 15, put it off to the side and say, okay, that's what I'm going to finish with because that's going to be the biggest, uh, the biggest bang for my buck, so to speak. 
And that is one of the true uh, signs of addiction with pornography is that you look for a perfect piece of it to finish with. Wow. Okay. So that's okay. Um, I, I'm thinking in my head because I talked to a couple people out there and this is kind of what they say to me. So, okay. I hope that they're listening. Um, what are some of the challenges you faced when overcoming the addiction to porn? Uh, well, I was the, one of the biggest ones was that I recognized because of my personality type, and I was very much an overachiever, very much a go getter, um, very much an egomaniac. Um, I recognized that I needed, because of my personality type at the time, I needed to quit both simultaneously. If I was not going to quit porn and not uh, and be able to just drink for a while. I was not going to be able to quit alcohol and just look at porn for a while. I knew that these two things worked hand in hand for two decades with me. And the only way that I was going to be able to beat either of them was to go cold turkey and mm. to go cold turkey on both at the same time. So that was very challenging up front. I don't know if I hadn't gone off to an inpatient rehab if I had if I would have been able to do it because mm. I truly had to be out of my element living a very different life having very different routines to be able to beat back both at the same time and so you overcome this addiction so you go to an in treatment facility were there any relapses or once you went to this facility and you came out obviously it's a day-to-day -day process with addiction, no matter what you're addicted to. But after that, did you have any relapses or were you good to go for the most part? No, what was, what was nice was I first went to rehab for alcoholism. Mm -hmm. um, I was there for 10 weeks and I did not use pornography the entire time. And I actually had started to see a certified sex addiction therapist while I was at that rehab who helped me understand addiction is a disease, porn addiction is absolutely real, and my porn addiction was separate of the alcohol. It predated it, and it mm. may have even done even more damage to my relationships with people than the alcohol did. Um, that allowed me to both work on the alcohol and work on the porn addiction for 10 weeks in an environment that was nothing like my own home. And when I finally went home after having been uh, gone so long and also having lost my job because of the alcoholism, mm -hmm. I was able to create new routines that mm -hmm. didn't have to do with either porn or alcohol. Now, I should say that several months later, I went to another rehab in Texas specifically for the pornography, even mm. though I didn't I didn't relapse and I never relapsed on alcohol or porn. But what happened was that uh, my therapist back here agreed that I probably should go get some deeper work when it came mm. to the trauma side of things. So even though I went to a porn and sex rehab, I hadn't looked at pornography in well over six months, and mm -hmm. I was able to get right into the real meat of the trauma work, whereas at the rehab for alcoholism that I went into first, um, 
that was about really getting my sea legs and figuring right. out what is recovery and how am I going to do this and am I committed to it? Uh, it wasn't until I went to that second rehab and started doing the deeper personal work that I started to truly understand what was going on with me. And, and just for people out there, because I'm familiar with a generalized addiction, this is something that alcoholism is something that you struggle with. Alcohol addiction is something that you struggle with every day, even though you've been 14 years sober. I've been nine and a half years sober. Nine and a half years sober. And okay. uh, you know what? It's I, I don't think that anybody is ever 100% cured or healed mm -hmm. because I think you carry that with you as part of your DNA map. It's, mm. it's obvious what can happen if I drink. I believe if I started drinking, I could convince myself probably for about a year that I was an okay drinker. I think I could handle it for a year mm -hmm. until that day that I couldn't. Yeah. And from that day forward, I would not be able to control it again. So I don't have a, even a drop of alcohol now, haven't in nine years. But I will say that I went through a depressive episode several months back unlike mm -hmm. any I've been in for many, many years since mm -hmm. before recovery. Mm -hmm. And I did not feel a strong pull towards either alcohol or porn. That's good. And that was sort of a silver lining of that incident was mm -hmm. that I didn't feel like I had to drink. I didn't feel like I had to look at porn. So that was almost the first time I ever truly believed that my neural pathways had changed and had, 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 gone to a healthier place because my go-to, my instinct was not naturally porn and alcohol. And uh, like I said, while I, I would never wish that kind of depression on anybody else, there was that silver lining of, hey, I don't have these urges. This is mm -hmm. a good thing. That is a good thing. We don't have to get into your depression, but I'm curious at that moment when you realized that you didn't, that you weren't going to go towards alcohol or pornography during this depressive moment. Did that help with the depression, knowing that you had kind of, like you said, that the neurons and everything had changed, had mapped and like, okay, so I know now I'm better in this avenue. Maybe things aren't so bad? On an objective, intellectual level, absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. This is a great thing that is happening to me. On an emotional level, I remember, and I, I remembered, and I still remember, that back in the day, no matter how bad my day went, there was always porn and or alcohol at the end of it. I heard a quote only a few days ago. It was meant in jest, but it kind of made sense to me in that the one thing that an addict has over a healthy person is that they always have something to look forward to. Hmm. And... Hmm. I don't have those two things to look forward to. And what you're really looking forward to is relief. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, it's like, I can't use porn. I can't use alcohol. I have this depression. I'm just going to have to ride this out. Mm -hmm. I don't have the shortcuts to get through these kinds of things that I once did. And frankly, in some ways, and I'm not saying this to glamorize, and I'm not pushing anybody towards these things, but in some ways, on a day-to-day -day level, it was easier to deal with life when you can just numb out with alcohol oh, yeah. and numb out with porn, even though it's absolutely unhealthy. It just was, frankly, easier some days. 
Yeah, it's easier in the moment. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Whatever you're dealing with comes back. So you you go through the rehabs. You're 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 constantly recovering. You're still recovering. When did you become an expert and decide I want to help people through the same things that I went through? As you mentioned at the top of the show, I was a journalist for nearly 25 years, I think 23 before I uh, before I quit um, because I started working at a newspaper um, in my hometown was pretty much my first job I ever had. I'd always worked in news mm-hmm. um, and that was not a healthy environment of people to work around. Hmm. Um, the journalism world is full of smokers and drinkers and snorters and shooters and people hmm. who have uh, adrenaline issues and people who have testosterone issues and people who have all kinds of issues. Because really, what is a journalist other than somebody who is an experienced junkie who wants to experience life, all kinds of life from a safe distance as an observer. And (laughs) that's what I was for 25 (laughs) years. I could, I, I have seen some amazing things. I have met some amazing people. Mm -hmm. I have had some amazing experiences. I never would have if I wasn't a journalist. And that was really tough was quitting that. And I remember Mm. when I went to the bookstore after I came home from the first rehab and, you know, hopefully those people old enough here remember bookstores. And I went to the self-help section, to the addiction section. And there were some, there were some regular books on addiction. There were some, uh, there were a couple books on alcoholism. Um, There were books on drug addiction. There was nothing on sex and certainly nothing on pornography addiction. Now at that point, I had already started doing some research to learn more. Because Mm -hmm. I was a journalist, I was a research geek. I like reading studies. You know, the way that I'm sure that there are English literature majors who still read Shakespeare in their normal life. I mean, that'll never be me, but I will read those scientific journals and enjoy them. And I thought to myself, I've been reading so much about porn and... People don't know about how bad this is. People don't know about these studies where the results are just starting to come in now. Because again, this was eight, nine years ago. People don't recognize this is a major deal and nobody wants to talk about it. I am willing to talk about it. I have the skills to write. I have the connections that I can get a book published. Why don't I go ahead and write this? So I wrote my first book, which was basically tracing my last five or six years of addiction at the same time that I launched my own uh, publishing company that did lifestyle magazines. And that book is kind of the rise and fall of that company, along with the rise and fall of me in my last years of addiction when it got to the critical stage. Mm -hmm. I thought that was the only book I would write. I would put that into the ether. That would be my contribution to this world. What happened was... Almost immediately after it was published, I started to get messages from girlfriends and wives and even some mothers saying, oh my God, I can't believe you were able to fix yourself. How do I fix my husband? How do I fix Mm. my boyfriend? And by the way, 
I'm having trouble with this. How is your wife dealing with this? Mm -hmm. And this was when I learned the term betrayal trauma and that this is what happens to the partners of many addicts of sex or pornography because they are lied to for so many years. Even if they flat out say, I don't want you looking at this stuff, an addict will continue to look at it. And because an addict is great at lying, because an addict is great at manipulating, they can get away with it for years and years. So I learned about betrayal trauma and I started, I wrote a book about that as well. And then I started to do public speaking and then the pandemic hit. And mm-hmm. nobody wanted you to public speak because nobody was in the audience mm-hmm. and nobody was available. And public speaking all went online and became worth a fraction of what it was. Mm-hmm. And I recognized if I was going to help people with pornography um, or with betrayal trauma, I wasn't going to get rich writing books. I wasn't going to get rich trying to give speeches or presentations anywhere as long as COVID still existed. Mm -hmm. So I went and I got certified both as a pornography addiction coach and as a betrayal trauma coach and started doing that about two and a half years ago. Okay. Uh, I was going to bring this up later, but these two things kind of work out. So how does it affect a partner when those women, girlfriends, mothers are calling. Cause I want to say most of the porn addiction is f- from men. Not to say that the women aren't, aren't also addicted to porn. Women, but... women are growing as a category much faster than men are because straight white men were targeted going back to the fifties for pornography this because they were a loyal, reliable audience. Must remember, pornography isn't business. It's an industry. And back then, you had to go to a theater to see this stuff. Mm-hmm. Or you had to go to that dirty shop on the at the, side, at the side of town. And at that point, the people who made pornography could only trust that the straight white men would be a loyal audience. It wasn't until we got the internet that mm-hmm. they started to cater towards minorities, that they started to cater towards women, that they started to cater towards the religious types. And because these days it costs so little to produce porn and it costs so little to publish porn and make money off of it, you've got all of these different groups and and different uh, socioeconomic types that are being targeted for the first time. So while the straight white guy has had certain numbers of pornography addiction for a long time. It's everybody else now in the world of high-speed internet that's catching up because you go to church or you're a good girl, you don't have to go be seen on that side of town now going into that sketchy store with the paper bags or anything like that. (laughs) You're at your house by yourself. Mm -hmm. You have equal access to the pornography that's on your computer and on the internet as everybody else. So... How does it affect partners? It affects partners in a couple different ways. The first, especially if there's been lying, is that how do I trust this person? How do I trust this partner? If they were able to lie to me about this for five years, 10 years, I've even worked with people it's up, up to 20 years. If they were able to lie to me for this many years, this well about something like pornography, what else have they lied about? Yeah. Who is this person? How do I trust this person? The second thing that they worry about is, well, 
If this person betrayed me like this, I should leave them, shouldn't I? Oh, wait. And you talk to people who are 5, 10, 15 years into a relationship, you become very enmeshed with mm -hmm. your responsibilities. You become very enmeshed with how you pay bills. Your life becomes enmeshed. If you wanted to pull yourself away from that because what your partner did was so horrible... That's easier said than done in a lot of cases. For many yeah. partners, it's where do I go? What do I do? Even if I wanted to get away, I don't know how to go live a life without this person. So that gets scary immediately because, you know, I've got kids with this person. I've got a house with this person. I've got, you know, car payments with this person. Can I really leave them because they were looking at pornography and I disagree with it? So you get that kind of internal battle. And then finally, the biggest thing you get, and this is what you see mainly with females who are suffering with betrayal trauma, is the sense that they are not enough. They wonder, was I not good enough in bed? Am I not sexy enough? Am I not wild enough? Why does he choose to look at women who look nothing like me to get pleasure, to get a sexual thrill? Am I not enough? And that's really the self-esteem part of it mm -hmm. where you see the biggest damage when it comes to betrayal trauma. So... With betrayal trauma, like you, you're bringing up instances where they're they're weighing out their options of if they should stay, right? And you're counseling these people. At what point do you say, well, yeah, this this addiction? Because sometimes people have addictions and you just can't live with them, or they can't beat their addictions. At what point does the partner say, mm, I, I've got to walk away? Well, the, the first thing when I'm counseling somebody is I look at their age, how long they've been in the relationship, and if they have any children. Mm -hmm. Last night, uh, I had a client for the first time. She was a 19-year-old woman who was in a long-distance relationship with a 19-year-old guy on the other side of the country. Ooh. and. He had been going back to pornography again and again. I don't know if he's a true addict or he just doesn't care what she thinks, but he kept going back to porn again and again. Now, if they had been in their 40s, if they had been living together, if they had had kids, I might have said, how important is this to keep alive? But mm -hmm. since they'd only been dating long distance for about 10 months, since neither of them were 20 years old yet, I told her, run. Run yeah. as fast as you can because this is not your battle to fight at this point in your life. Mm -hmm. This guy needs to get his act together. You already, she was a very, you know, mature, good head on her shoulders woman. Um, you could tell that she had so much more to offer than this guy did based on her story. So because she was young, because they had no kids, because they weren't living together, I urged her to get away as quickly as she could. Um, it does have to do with the circumstances, but ultimately, you know, if there's ever any physical abuse, I tell them to get away immediately. And I always tell, I always tell them to have a plan if they need to get away immediately. But in most cases, somebody who has been with their partner, especially if they're living with them, if they have children with them, if they're married, um, if they've been together more than five or six years, the first instinct for them is to stay together. So mm -hmm. we go down that road Figuring it out first, is that a possibility? Because that's what most people want. 
Sometimes that is a possibility. Sometimes it isn't, but we figure it out um, after several sessions of looking at what needs to happen next for them to move forward as a healthy person. With porn addiction, I'm going to ex- I'm going to assume I'm assuming here, and you know what they say when you assume you make an ass out of yourself. But I'm going to assume that with porn addiction, specifically talking to males, that it would affect their physical relationships with their partners. Um, in, in those type of situations, what do you tell that, that partner that's coming to you for help on dealing with something like that? Well, when men do have erectile dysfunction issues and it's becoming more and more common with pornography, um, because one of the things that those chemicals I talked about earlier, the dopamine, the oxytocin and so on, one of the things that happens is that you fry your pleasure centers of your brain. Basically, Mm. these nerve endings that are there that make sex feel so good. When you have sex with somebody, you get all these chemicals going. This is Mm. what's supposed to happen. This is how you perform. But if you can sit in front of a computer all day and watch different person after different person after different person um, be nude, have sex. Well, when you get back to your partner... You know, if you've been with your partner for a while, you've probably seen them naked hundreds, if not thousands of times. The sex, while probably still enjoyable, you know what's going to happen. You know how that movie ends. Mm. Unfortunately, what happens with the brain, um, and we know this because of a phenomenon as known as the Coolidge effect, which has been studied in other species of animals, when the male of a species is... In, is uh, is is confronted with the same sexual image over and over and over, they will lose interest over time when it comes to the libido. It won't stay as high. Yet Hmm. every time you introduce a new sexual image or a new potential sexual partner, that libido will shoot up. That dopamine will shoot up. That's why you get people addicted to porn, because it's something new. It's another wave of chemicals every time you see something new. Well, When you are then confronted with your partner who you see all the time, those those body parts aren't new. That way that you're having intercourse isn't new. Many guys have trouble performing with their partners because they watch so much sex, because they see so much nudity, and because they have fried their receptors when it comes to the pleasure chemicals They need to have extreme stuff to watch. They need to have really off-the-wall stuff that are unique stuff that they might run away from in real life if they saw it. But because it's on a screen, because it's safe, because they have to find something over the top to stimulate those those nerve endings, um, that's something that their partner just can't do, so they're no longer able to perform with their partner. Wow. Wow. So basically, guys, be careful what porn you watch and how much you're watching it, especially if you have a partner. Be respectful of the partner. Like, you're going to damage yourself. It's basically what you just said, Joshua. It's like, watch too much porn, you're going to damage yourself. Absolutely. And you look at statistics. When when you and I were 20 years old, and we're only a couple years apart, when you and I were 20 years old, the uh, average percentage of men who had any kind of erectile dysfunction was between two and four percent 
These days, the average guy who's around 20 years old is experiencing a 20 to 25% rate of erectile dysfunction. Now, this is only happening over 20 years. We're not talking generations. This is what high-speed internet pornography being delivered to us on our computers, on our phones, on our TVs, on our tablets, on our watches. This is what porn being delivered 24-7, especially to the youngest among us, because we Mm. give every 10-year-old an iPhone and say, Go out into the world and enjoy yourself. This is what happens. These are the real results of pornography addiction. But because we're such a Puritan society, because we still love to pretend that, oh, I don't look at that stuff. I don't touch myself. I'm perfectly happy. Because we still love to live in this fantasy land, we are not talking about this stuff with a uh, with, with a cultural and with a uh, serious discussion across what it means for our citizenship and humanity, because he, 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 it's still naked people doing naked things. And we're going to pretend we don't look at that. One, one more question uh, before I get you out of here. I want to, and you said you basically, when you're watching, when a man is watching porn over and over and again, they fry the, the, the receptors in their brain. Uh, A a woman will too. It's the same, Uh, same science. I'm, I'm, I'm generally speaking for men because once again, I assume that it's mostly men, but you have already told me that there's a growing number of women that are watching porn. So for people out there that are frying their, basically desensitizing themselves sexually, um, how do you get that back? For those young men that are facing erectile dysfunction at 20 years old, how do they fix? Is there a way to fix that so that when they're 25, 26, it could go back to, quote unquote, what would be normal? Right. Absolutely. And that's that's what's wonderful is that our brain possesses this capability of neuroplasticity. This means that our brain is always changing. Our brain is always creating new pathways. Um, our brain, what was it that allowed me to not need pornography or alcohol when I was going through that depressive episode several months ago. It's the fact that I created these new pathways. I created these new, uh, you know, this new super information highway in my head where the parts that deal with the dopamine and the oxytocin and all the pleasure chemicals are not getting the same uh, electrical stimuluses saying, go for it, go for it, go for it, that it once was. I've Mm. stayed away from it for so long, it's basically rewired itself. And what you have to do, it's, it's fairly straightforward. It's fairly simple. You have to stop looking at pornography. You have to stop masturbating. And you have to give it some real time. Mm. And... Unfortunately, for a lot of people who are addicts, they can't because most people, even if they understand that they're addicts, they don't understand why they are addicts. Addiction Mm. is just a symptom of a bigger problem. That bigger problem is almost always childhood trauma. And if you don't go and get to the root of the childhood trauma, if you don't go and work through it and also understand how that trauma helped create the person you are today, you're not going to get rid of this pornography addiction. Or maybe you will, but like a client I have now, he's switching completely over to video game addiction. 
huh. because he gets largely, it's not naked people, but he gets largely the same high because he feels like he's in control. He feels like he has power. When those scores are going up, when he is meeting the goals on the screen, when he is in charge of this fictional world on the screen, well, he goes from one set of pixels on his phone of naked people to another set of pixels on his TV screen of video games. It's We have to be careful that people don't change addictions because while you may say, well... Uh, on a, an ethical level, video games aren't as bad as pornography. That's fine. This isn't about ethics. This is about being an ill individual and somebody who is an addict. It doesn't matter if they switch their addictions. So that has to be watched very closely as well, that they're not just going and finding their dopamine and the other pleasure chemicals in some other kind of addiction, because that's not progress. <laughs> Wow. Once again, that's just part one of a two-part series on porn addiction with Joshua Shea. We got a lot, got a lot into porn addiction, what causes it. Um, childhood trauma is what my sister always says. It goes back to childhood trauma. Uh, th that leads to not only porn addiction, but to a lot of addictions, a lot of issues, the mental health issues that we've had, uh, that we've talked about in previous episodes with previous guests, mental health. Uh, if you don't address it, it can lead to destructive habits, porn addiction, like Joshua uh, was saying, as well as drinking. Um, in part two, we're going to be addressing something that I think is fairly important and parents should really listen to it is how porn is affecting children. Um, porn is readily available more so in, than in my generation. Uh, this younger generation has easier access to it. How does it affect them? How do you navigate that as a parent? So we'll be getting into that in part two. But once again, this was part one. I want to thank Josh for coming in, not once, but twice to do this interview. Uh, but until next time, once again, thank you for listening. And I'll holla. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, howdy 5,000. Peace.